0: This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening
1: to Trek FM.
0: Risk is our business.
1: It's like nothing we've dealt with before. Oh my Golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. Change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain
0: Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And we're going to discuss our favorite Enterprise Saves the Earth storylines and plots from the TV show and films. Yeah, we <laughs> we may stretch it a bit. Uh You know, because we're not just
1: talking about stopping a bad guy or an entity that may have found its way to Earth, but, you know, there's there's some other shows out there that maybe from an abstract point of view could imperil the Earth. I don't know, Zach,
0: what do you think? Well, that's right, Ken, because let's not forget, Captain Kirk and crew did literally save an entire universe— or two universes, really, in the alternative factor. So, but we'll uh, we'll we've said our piece on that. We'll we'll steer clear of that this week, huh? Uh,
1: yes, please, please, please. I am alternative out.
0: But it's been, boy did that category have legs, did it not? Yeah, uh, man. Anyway, people people love the alternative factor. All, and by people, I mean Brandon Shay Matella but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> so when we talk about saving the earth it, like you said it's not necessarily in the there's the planet here comes a big ship here comes a big cloud let's save it there's there's many shades of saving earth right and uh That's shall right. we start with uh the city on the edge of forever ken yeah why don't we because it's it's not about the destruction of the earth but
1: it's about the destruction of our history right and and, and life as we know it so i think that that definitely qualifies and when we were talking about uh, topics, Zach, and we were going back and forth, and we came up with this, this was the one that just kind of struck me right off the uh, off the top. One, obviously, it's, it's probably, arguably, the original series' most popular episode, considered a fan favorite because of its topic. And obviously, the stakes were very, very high in this. And it wasn't your typical, um, you know, using the ship, using this method, um, getting a leg up on a bad guy or an intruder or an invasive species, this was making probably the hardest decisions that that, that people have to make in order to do things correctly. And um, yeah, it was not to dive too deep into the episode, but going back in time so and, and to ensure that one person dies so that the Earth stays on its current uh, trajectory towards positivity and utopia— Oh, and however that's defined in the terms that we have with the Federation, was uh, definitely a very powerful um, saving of the Earth, quote-unquote.
0: Yeah, I like how you put that, the destruction of our history, which is just as you know, destructive as uh, destroying the Earth in the present time. And, you know, this this is the third time that the original series, Time Travel. The, the naked time, it was kind of a throwaway, very random thing to happen at the end of a completely unrelated episode, and they go back in time three days, and they set course for their next mission and they kind of go about their business but then uh, tomorrow's yesterday they go back in time and that's not really a destruction of our history in the same way as sitting on the edge of forever obviously the enterprise goes back they beam up captain christopher and they're like this guy's not important we can keep him around and they said oh no his son leads the first mission to saturn now had he not gone back to earth and led the mission to saturn i don't think we would have had a nazi controlled (laughs) You know, Earth, like we do, like <laughs> <That's laughs> forever. Right, I think right, the yeah. timeline would have found a way to correct itself <laughs> at some point. But at the time, that was a big deal. That's only the second time they had time traveled. But here, on city, on the edge of forever, this is no doubt. There's a clear problem here that needs to be fixed. A fixed point in time. I love alternate history, right? Like what if stories yeah. in history. There's so much you, you see even today. All the fiction. There's 112263 uh, by Stephen King, the novel, and now the TV show. There's Man in the High Castle, the novel, and now the TV show. Just, you know, going back, obviously these are older stories uh, and older, you know, ideas going back to the 40s and the 60s for these ideas of, you know, what if uh, JFK didn't die or what if the Nazis won World War II and they extrapolate from that. And here, you know, it's very simple. We don't actually see Kirk and Spock experience the alternate timeline where, you know there is a you know Nazi controlled Earth in future. We just know that the Enterprise doesn't exist, and we can extrapolate from there. And your imagination says, well, what does that even mean? Like, uh, does Earth did we destroy ourselves? Did the the Nazis not are they still in control on Earth? But is it are we very xenophobic and we didn't reach out and uh, explore space like we've been doing? And but ultimately, you know the the greatest uh, lesson here is you know Star Trek is all about they're all about peace. And that they're a humanitarian peacekeeping armada, as I always like to point poke fun at you, <laughs> Ken. But mm-hmm. um, ultimately, they say you know Edith Keeler must die uh, because they look in you know they look in their the tricorder, right? And uh, Kirk Kirk is obviously you know he he's he's always he's looking to save her, right? He's a little biased in, in these in his analysis, but that's what Spock is great. Spock is not. Spock always offers an objective opinion, and Spock. Starts telling Kirk about this alternate timeline where she convinced the U.S. to stay out of World War II, and he's like, "That's right, peace was the way." And Spock's like, "She was right, but at the wrong time." Right, and I think it's a very important message. It
1: it is, and it was it was a very powerful message. And you know, it's funny because you talk about all the all the TV shows and 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 what ifs and scenarios that could have changed Earth history. How many times in our own lives do we look back and say, "Hmm, if I went left instead of right, what where I be? Where would I be now?" Right. So it's a it's a common thought process, I think, and and it lends well in this story, and I think it lends well to many many other stories because I, I you know I, I'm I'm guessing that it's human nature. I don't dwell on things like that, but I, I it does pop into my head every once in a while. So I think that uh, you, you know it's it's very relevant, uh, and and of course with uh with today's world too and 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 all the all the conversations that are have you know out in facebook land or whatever people are always constantly asking well what if what if well you know what doesn't matter deal with it now but it is an interesting thing to kind of look back on you know it's is again as um as we were putting the list down and we did reach out to the babel conference to let them know what we were going to be discussing uh i was i was pretty happy because the um the you know we we love to get the uh, the listener participation, but I also like to say okay can we can we come up with um, a pretty decent list, and then if there's anything uh, that could be added to it, you know are there other things out there? And I I didn't have a particular order, so if it's all right with you, Zach, I, I think we'll just kind of come up with the. Um, the episodes that that you know we were going back and forth on we weren't doing them in order unless you want to do it in chronological order maybe we can do that when we get to the movies more than the episodes but i just want to kind of throw them out there
0: no absolutely i mean th- th- that's the great thing about the original series you can pretty much jump all around and it doesn't affect the storyline right because they're all very self-contained uh, except for a few exceptions so so yeah let's let's uh let's jump around the timeline as we as we already have with city you know, on the edge of forever. So the timeline's yeah. been corrected now, and now we can move forward. <laughs> that's a good metaphor.
1: I was, And that's the, that was the first one. I don't know why that was on my head. But the next one that that popped in was uh, the Doomsday Machine, right? So obviously this um, this weapon, this this mammoth weapon, this planet-eating, killing weapon, um, wasn't in a direct path towards Earth that we knew at the time, but it, it took out a whole solar system, and there was nothing but rubble. Uh, the assumption was that it was going to be heading into even more densely populated areas of the Federation. So I extrapolated that to be Earth, to be part of that. And, you know, it, it is funny that the Federation, which is made up of, um, you know, hundreds of worlds and various levels of technology that they've gleaned from this, uh, when Earth is threatened, it's always the biggest deal. But anyway. uh <laughs> for doomsday machine uh you know uh, the concept of it was great uh here we have the whole cold war scenario where two warring factions created the uh, mutually assured destruction device so no one wins which was the big talk when when star trek was made and through through me growing up through the cold war that's what you heard all the time mutual assured destruction and this was the the visual realistic impact of what that means um so it was it was a metaphor for for the cold war um you know nuclear arms race that we were having at the times and you know clearly stating no one wins
0: yeah i love in star trek where at the end of the episode they can always pull out that analogy the perfect on the nose analogy right cuz it's like kirk and spock walking on the bridge like you know in the 1960s when <laughs> It's like, man, Kirk, you have some great recall, man. But who am I to talk? I can recall Star Trek episodes off the top of my head as well. So, <laughs> but it really was topical at the time, as you said, Ken, because that—that's basically like, look, you know, as technology advances, it advances. We're eventually going to destroy ourselves if we're not careful, and that's what happened to this society, right? I mean, that's a classic sci-fi idea. You—you create this technology to win a war or defend yourself, and then it accomplishes its mission. And then it just moves on to the next thing, but either through bad programming or through through who knows what the circumstances were about the Doomsday Machine, right? And I know that mm-hmm. there has been lots of uh, books and comic books and you know um, fan theories about where it came from and what its purpose was. Everybody loves to tie the Borg into everything. So, <laughs> there Peter David wrote a novel Vendetta about how uh, the Doomsday Machine was actually created to defeat the Borg, but uh, you know it's a uh, it's just a metaphor for. For for exactly what was going on at the time, that's what Star Trek was great about, and a very gr- a great episode as well, right? It has a great message, but much like Sitting on the Edge of Forever*, it has a great message, but it's told so excellently. This is both these episodes are on the top ten of pretty much everybody's top ten favorite TOS episode lists, right?
1: Oh, I think so. And uh, Commodore Decker, what a great great character! Really was. I, I loved everything about him. But so yeah, it was a great uh, great episode all around. Okay, so that was *Doomsday Machine*. Uh, *Balance of Terror*. We threw in there. Uh, for That could be a bit of a stretch, if you think about it, because there already had been a war with the Romulans, but there had not been a weapon uh, that, that we had seen or that they had seen to this point that was so destructive, that energy plasma weapon that took everything out of that ship, right? And um, obviously, if they did not destroy that ship and the Romulans were successful in their mission— showing or demonstrating that the Federation had weakness and could not defend against them, uh, they would have been coming through the neutral zone with their cloaking devices with nothing but our motion sensors to track them, and potentially get all the way to Earth and, and and blow it to smithereens. So that's
0: why Balance of Terror we have on this list. Yeah, Balance of Terror, it's it's more of a stretch, really, because... It's a stretch. ...than these other ones, because no one set a direct course for Earth, as they as they will do as we move forward here, but... You know, uh, if you extrapolate, if you know, what a total war with the Romulans would be, obviously, you know, if they want to conquer our territory, Earth is this, as you were saying, for some reason, <laughs> Earth really is the center of the universe. You know, everybody makes a big deal about how Galileo <laughs> disproved that Earth was the center of the universe, but apparently in the Star Trek universe, <laughs> Earth really is the center. Uh, so yeah, if the Romulans are going to conquer your territory, they're going to go for your capital. right? that's that's tactics right there. They're going to take over Earth. They're going to take over Starfleet. So down the line. That it was a very distinct possibility, and that and that and that really raised. If you look at balance of Terror through that lands like man, the stakes are already high enough, and and you think about that, like whoa, the 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 stakes are just as high as they get, you know?
1: Yeah, and and you know, we we have the ability now to move forward many years and look back through Enterprise, and we knew even during the original series that the war with the Romulans was Romulus versus Earth, right? So if there's a place they're going to come after in the federation it's earth right so that's kind of how we draw that line i think Mm -hmm. yeah the the Mm -hmm. capital of starfleet and the united federation of planets apparently right and uh, and in one show that we shall not name it's what sector zero zero one okay that's all we need to know (laughs) we are it we rock all you other planets just follow along (laughs) indeed all right. The next one we came up with uh very appropriately, and um I, I will mention that Christopher Baca, who comes up with everything too, <laughs> mentioned this. But uh and in and, and, and in the same way. Uh when when we were talking about this back and forth and we we were talking about obviously, you know, the motion picture was, was big, but then you go, okay, well what was that based on? It was based on Changeling, starring what we call the happy Italian, right? He's a nomad. <laughs> so um is that is that a song that was was really that was really bad (laughs) Uh, no 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 it's just uh i just i just remember that uh i I had an uncle with a strange sense of humor he was kind of a funny guy but we'd be boating a lot and there would be if you had to slow down to go under a bridge or whatever he said ah he would always say um sleepy italian what's that he's a no wake okay so that's where that came from gotcha so i'm so sorry uh, if i've offended anybody <laughs> deal with it it's a sense of humor Rel- relax anyway so the changeling great great uh great concept
0: great episode right i really like this episode yeah. i know that people look back on it and make the comparisons to star trek the motion picture which we'll talk about in a minute here i think it's a very compelling episode uh especially the crux that it thinks kirk is its creator jackson roy kirk like, that adds so much drama to the whole thing, and I just find it a fascinating episode. And yes, if, if uh, Nomad's mission was to sterilize, sterilize, it would have eventually gone back to uh, Earth and sterilized Earth. So yeah, this is definitely, this is a lot more direct. Like, okay, if we don't stop this thing, because Doomsday Machine, it was like, yeah, it's floating around, and it, it it'll probably end up at Earth at some point if it just keeps eating planets. But uh, this was like ch- the Nomad here, the Changeling was going to go to Earth, so yes, we had to stop it. So this is definitely a a no questions uh, fits our criteria of the crew saving Earth, in my opinion, by stopping Nomad. It's very direct.
1: Yes, yes. This is this is a threat that has to be neutralized. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No 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 obscurity at all. Okay, how about uh, this one? We kind of go back to the same lines of balance and terror where we had errand of mercy, with the um,
0: the the battle with the Klingons uh, at Organia. Yeah, I mean, again, extrapolating what total war would be um, mm-hmm. with the Klingon Empire, much like the Romulan Empire. If you know the Klingons were going to win the war, they would have you know taken over Earth, planted their flag at Starfleet headquarters, and and that's. That's how war works, right? Again, if you extrapolate this, of course, the Organians interfered and the, the, the war didn't get very far. <laughs> you know. But uh, oh, if yeah. they had not interfered and we were at the risk of losing a war, then, yes, yeah, v- very possible to extrapolate that in the future and uh, we'd be uh, all pledging allegiance to the Klingon flag in the 23rd century. That's right. That's right. What is it um... – from Star Trek Three, the Klingon flag,
1: hang, uh, the Federation flag swinging in the breeze—beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was thinking of that
0: myself. <laughs> yeah, just when you said
1: that, that kind of that kind of hit there. Yeah, so I think that. Yeah, okay. You know, I mean, that that would be a good conversation to have. Obviously, it would be a an interesting campaign to see if if war was allowed, where it would end up. You know, you kind of get a feel for that in, in Star Trek Six a little bit, though. I don't. I, I, Spoilers. I don't. I don't have that on our list, but at any rate, it's just one of those things where I, 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 see that that war in any forum with the Federation would be a threat to any planet in the Federation, and um, and if any ship was conquered and they got into the computer banks and everything points to zero zero one, well, that's where you go. Well, all
0: the right? thing about Earth is in Starfleet, all right, because it's a line in the Federation it, that really protects it. Like it really because it, it. We were talking about the Romulans, right? There was the Earth Rhymeland War right, that was between mm-hmm. Earth and Romulus, and that's like, okay, two planets, and we can see why they kind of came to a stalemate and went about their business and established the neutral zone, and, you know, if the Klingons here, if they go to war with, you know, Earth or Starfleet or the Federation, right, the Federation mm-hmm. has to be so much bigger than the Klingon Empire, right, because you, you think just over time, they keep fighting and fighting and fighting, how, how much resources does the Klingon Empire really have, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, in the original series, you know, the Klingon Empire was established more as a Uh, Well, it was the USSR, right? And Starfleet Federation was the United States, right? Uh, Right. So it was more of an equal power. You know, it wasn't just the Klingon Empire, It's Klingons. The Klingon Empire was, you know, we're an organization that is, you know, assimilating planets, you know, and and expanding its influence. The Klingon Empire was not just Klingons versus all of the Federation planets and species. It was like here the Klingons have their planets and the Federation have their planets and these two superpowers vying for control and that's why you have episodes like Private Little War where they're like, this is a very Mm -hmm. crucial planet to the Federation. You know, obviously the communism and, you know, the first domino to fall and all that. Again, the 60s analogies but the sci-fi trappings of it. That makes a lot more sense. Now when you go further in the timeline right it just it seems to me they kind of lost that angle on the klingons and the klingon empire was just the klingons right there wasn't there wasn't much else to it at that point i mean they talk about how they used to conquer planets and that thing but you know looking at it through the original series lens i think the federation of klingons would have been a lot more equal you know, and hey this is before praxis exploded right so so you, you don't well, really they know they, they have yeah. plenty of resources at this changer. point so yeah so yeah. I, I think it's very possible the klingons i mean if they're a lot more warrior-driven, right? They, they live for battle, they live for war, then they're a lot more motivated uh, on several fronts to, to win these battles, right? And the Federation, I mean, they, they're out there, they're not warships, right? They're expor, explorers, so they're not really... I mean, obviously, we had a few captains who were a little more uh, uh, war-hungry, you know, for, for action and battle and glory. Uh, it's it's hard to say. You know, That, that that's a cool what-if game we should talk about. <laughs> if there was a Klingon war, what would happen, right? Yeah, I think that that's a because the the terms are pretty equal,
1: right? I mean, the the ships are, are are fairly well matched, and yeah, I think that would be a great conversation. We'll we'll put that down in our show notes, you know. So Klingon versus Federation, I'm sure you know, as a person who does not play and has played very limited amount of video games, I have to say, um, I'm sure that there's there's a lot of um, games out there that have been designed so that. Uh, it becomes more strategic, you know, where things are are pretty even, uh, and you have to outsmart, you know, outlast, outwit, kind of like the, the was that the Survivor logo there. <laughs> anyway, so you uh, know, in, in order to win, and and I would think that that would be very similar with the Klingons because they're they're battle savvy, you know, and and the thing is, and I think this is where um, Star Trek plays off well, even though it's not, you know, we we kind of always refer to uh earth in the past as being you know very violent and all these things it, it is but one of the things that uh you know that's kept tucked away tucked away in the dna of of all humans is uh, we know how to fight uh we you <laughs> know the the klingons are just reflective of you know like in this case russia but as star trek evolved so did the klingons and, and they kind of had more of a you know, like a a ninja approach to them or, or, you know, that, that type of thing. So anyway, I, yeah, I think it would be, it would be fun to talk about. All right. On to the next one. I like this one, uh, assignment earth. You like Um, this one, huh? (laughs) I, I, I like this as being a topic to discuss. I mean, you know, a guy and a kitty cat from future come back, and they're here to, uh, to, to save the planet from going boom. It's, uh, it, it definitely fits our criteria for today's discussion. That's true. In,
0: in the context of this discussion, I like it as a choice. <laughs> That's what I meant, yes. Yeah, so Simon Earth, they go back in time to study the past, which was interesting. Like they, they, they didn't have an accident or fall through a, a black star like they did in Tomorrow's Yesterday. They're just, yes, we've gone back in time to discover how humanity to survive the late 1960s, which is just an interesting mission statement. <laughs> for captain's log, right? they there temporal prime directive right out there that stops you from doing this, right? But uh, you know some sometime we need to go back. I know in uh, Trials and Tribulations they, they they mentioned the amount of times that Kirk violated the temporal prime directive. I want to I want to add those up sometime, but but that's beside the point. That's not our discussion today. <laughs> so Simon Earth, right? Uh, the whole the whole crux of it is Gary 7 comes on and and they think that the Enterprise crew thinks he's interfering with things, but in fact, he's saving history, right? So it's based off these misunderstandings of what's going on, which just shows you that communication is the key, people. If you just stopped and talked about things, you would solve a lot of problems, right? Because they they keep trying to, you know, interfere with each other's plans, and it almost blows up big time. But eventually they have to trust him that he's doing the right thing, and history plays out as it should. And I guess it's kind of a reveal at the end that the Enterprise was always part of, of this history, right? I guess that's like, a, oh yep. wow, you know, it's, it's not really a twist, more of a reveal. A paradox, yeah, a predestination paradox, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I think we, we don't, I don't know if we need to get too much further into it because that was essentially the the, the, the gist of it, uh-huh. and uh, it was obviously to um, to launch a new show, and
0: so it, it a pilot, right, or a pre-pilot, I uh-huh. guess. Back backdoor pilot to... is the term they use in the industry yes
1: a backdoor pilot
0: Mm -hmm.
1: okay anyway so that would be um yeah that would be a simon earth so we'll
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that would have been cool it's like he's like an american doctor who right i mean he's even got the sonic screwdriver basically so that would have been a cool show in the 60s it could have lasted a couple seasons right i I guess so you know i i thought
1: the the cast would have been interesting right i I mean terry gar uh you know it's she's uh she did pretty well. She got more and more popular in the in the 70s and 80s as time went on. I think she, the most no- notable, um, you know, of of the cast and crew. And I, when I do see it and I see her in that episode or whatever, I always thought she had kind of a quirky part, you know, and uh-huh. and, and she she was kind of cute and funny and yeah, it was it was it was what it was. But I don't. It, it's hard to say. Okay, this is just a Star Trek episode. It was definitely something that they had to really work hard to manufacture the reason why they were there um, and were able to introduce it but i do like the way they intercepted him i thought that was kind of cool yeah
0: you know but you know but so it counts as saving earth even though they really didn't do anything (laughs) they just kind of observed history right if anything... They well, they almost... were
1: part of it, though. They wound up being part of it, right? They probably... Well, in many ways, they interfered with the saving
0: of Earth. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, if they they, they, mm-hmm. they, they saved the day despite themselves.
1: <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point. That might be the one and only Star Trek episode in all of the Star Treks where... Uh, we almost uh, the the good guys almost accidentally destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it, huh? That would be another thing to look at, uh, you know. But we'd have to uh, get our friends on the other podcast to kind of think that through, right? For sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next one that that's on the list, I okay, I have to make a full a full um, confession here. I didn't have this one originally. <laughs> it was and it's so damn obvious uh this one is uh the immunity syndrome, and uh it was one of those things not long before we were recording um that did, did that pop up um with uh christopher query <laughs> i was I was like, damn, how the heck did we miss that I mean you know everybody came in uh whether it was Craig or Trey or John. Um, you know, Tim Hans had a few, it, we, I think we captured most of them in our notes before, before we went on, but it's, it's always kind of fun to see where people were coming up with, but Christopher, nice save because, um, you know, we, we, we would have been hitting hard. It's was like, how did you idiots forget that one? Well, I'll say idiot because Zach, you're, you're not an idiot, but, um, well, thank you again. Been, I appreciate that. It, that yeah, you're welcome. Because yeah, I, you know, I hear that two or three times a day before I leave the house. So, um, <laughs> At any rate, so, so nice save on the immunity s- syndrome. and you know what, what a gr- I, I really, really like this episode, too. I, I, I like the idea of a, a disease or a, um, you, know, a single cell um, coming in and consuming all, and it's just uh, you know, it, it, it's science fiction at its best, I thought. It was one of um, one of the more clever Star Trek episodes.
0: Uh, great, bottles, great bottle show, I thought yeah high concept sci-fi right mm-hmm. and one yeah. of the most iconic images of, of the series like if you see that that giant cell and then the enterprise in front of it you know exactly what it's from and what episode it is and yeah this is one of those big picture um saving the earth because they pretty much save existence as we know it you know in our galaxy so yeah. if the earth kind of falls under that category they're not you know it's not like this thing showed up at earth and we have to stop it it's just like this thing's gonna eventually you know uh uh, reproduce itself right because it's it's uh, right. uh that's how it works and then uh overwrite or take over our our universe so yeah i mean yeah you you stop this you save earth so that, that counts in my book
1: oh absolutely and you know it was uh i mean the i guess this universe this galaxy was serving as its uh primordial soup, wasn't it i mm, mean in that yeah. sense it yeah, was exactly. it was a whole new life that was that was coming in to take over just just as it was happening, you know, billions of years ago on Earth. So, and and some great character moments in this episode too, between Spock and McCoy, especially. Well, Spock's reaction when the um, was it the Intrepid? I'm trying to remember if I the oh reaction. yeah, the, the, the Vulcan the, ship, right? Yeah, yeah, and and it was also fascinating that the limitations of logic did not allow 430 Vulcans to figure out why this was happening. Hmm. Right. That in itself was quite a wild concept. So as as advanced and as dispassionate, if I guess if if you um, are limited to a reality that you feel cannot be changed uh, so that concepts beyond it cannot be considered. Oh wow! Right, so it it shows because the Vulcans, right, they're stronger, they live longer, they hear better, they have inner eyelids. Uh, there's really not much you can do to a Vulcan, right? I mean, they they really don't die. They kind of, you know, it's amazing. However, they have a huge Achilles heel. It's never really brought up again, but I thought it was well to put it in Spock's terms, fascinating. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it really just goes to show you how important your worldview is, right? And how you view the world. Because if you're in your, if you stay in your lane, you don't think outside the box. Use a, you know, a cliche metaphor, but I mean that's what it is, right? You're not getting able to see these other possibilities. Uh, and that's you know, Spock is so well served as a character because he's half Vulcan, and he's also half human, right? So he can he can balance those those things out. That's why he's you know, the the best of both worlds, right? <laughs> because he can use his Vulcan <laughs> intellect, but then also his his human ability to to reach beyond. The, the facts right and that's what makes him right. such a such a valued member of the crew and such an awesome character mm-hmm. yeah and then that's i think that uh, uh well you know what it is brought up again in a
1: sense at, at the end of the motion picture
0: oh, that's right? true yeah this this one simple feeling, the feature could right? not
1: evolve because of its limitations with mm-hmm. logic and it's it it was uh it was interesting all right so before we leave the uh the t v series zach is, is anything we're missing i'm i'm going back now i'm taking a look and uh I think we've captured them all i don't think there's anything else out there that the listeners threw out unless i'm i'm
0: reading too fast but
1: uh i don't, I don't yeah think i mean so. for
0: for a show that you know it's, it's more of a movie trope really and we'll get into it here right because that's our next step but you know but so, oh the enterprise is always the only ship in the quadrant and it's always got to save earth it's like well if you look at the original series you know there's 80 episodes we talked about what like six seven like maybe like like that's less than 10 percent of the show is them saving earth and even half of those are in the grand sense of like We save the galaxy, we save the universe, we save the quadrant, right? And if you extrapolate Mm -hmm. this, this a death machine that might have come and destroyed Earth, right? But actually, like, Mm -hmm. saving the planet Earth? I mean, and some of those are history. So I think, you know, uh, they did not go to that well too often on the original series. They were out there on the frontier, really, on the five-year mission. Uh, Later shows, obviously, they're going back to Earth on a more regular basis. But uh, for, for various reasons, right? but uh, yeah. the original series we never actually you know in the original series proper we never got to see 23rd century earth which uh you know lots of reasons why story reasons budgetary reasons and we never got to see it so the enterprise never got to go to its present day earth and save any threats from there they always ended up going in the past to save it it's interesting you know when, when you really start to break down and examine these these tropes right because people has their everybody has their ideas of like oh yeah captain kirk he's a womanizer he's sleeping with green women he's doing this he's doing that it's like actually there's no episode where that happens no there Uh, isn't you're absolutely right anyway yeah
1: Yeah. well he comes close but then she's about to stab him right yeah well (laughs) that's that's how it works ken so (laughs) yeah so there's there's a warning out there stay away from green women (laughs) uh anyway i don't know where i'm going with this stuff it must be early in the morning when we're recording this huh zach only one cup of coffee and we're rocking and rolling through this bad boy <laughs> so anyway i you know just just a, a quick call out to trey womack uh greg malumby christopher baca uh tim hands um john thomas downing uh Nicholas Anastasio and Christopher Query uh for throwing their, their two cents in uh, very important two cents. Suzanne, we're gonna we're gonna come back to you, Suzanne Williamson, in a minute as we go through the rest of these films. I'm sorry, as we go through the films. So let let's start off with um unquestionably, undeniably, um the best uh Star Trek movie in history, uh Star Trek the Motion Picture. As many people now go, what the hell is he saying? Anyway, so... Um, I, I think something's gone wrong with our history, Ken. Is that right? You know, <laughs> some, something could have happened. All right. For at least 20 of us out there. <laughs> yeah. So Star Trek, the motion picture. What a... Um, this this was obviously the first movie, the first epic um, blockbuster-type movie uh, approach to star trek and and they did it big and so they wanted a lot at stake and just like they they kind of pulled it off with the changeling earth probe goes out there gets um gets lost in what they used to call a black hole i don't know what they call it then (laughs) other than because i've heard them say black hole but anyway so it goes through what they used to call a black hole emerges somewhere on the other side of the galaxy machine world Uh, Rebuilds this planet and now it's going to search for its creator, which it feels should be in its own image. And uh, that is going right towards um, Earth. Huge machine. And they actually do deploy um, weapons uh, in orbit around the Earth Mm. that would annihilate the entire surface of the planet. So, a big high stakes game here. Um, This is a very direct threat to Earth and it's a mystery right we We don't know why or who or whatever until the last twenty minutes of the movie as to what its motives are and and why it's doing what it's doing. We get little hints along the way, but this was definitely a a direct threat and a man made threat uh although not by design
0: mm-hmm. uh, on the planet yeah i mean again it's the it's the classic AI that does what you're not expecting it to do we are We are the architects of our own destruction inadvertently, but still you mentioned the black hole and i in the star trek uh, i mean they're using this 1960s logic and i you know I, I applaud them for sticking with it even though you know scientific studies have shown that if you well i guess <laughs> haven't proven without a doubt because i guess we never know but when you go in a black hole it's nothingness it rips you apart right it's, it's not a portal to somewhere else it's not a wormhole right it's not it's not like that there's a difference between a black hole and a wormhole and even in tomorrow's yesterday they call it a black star so, I mean, they have that the Enterprise that's how the Enterprise went back in time there and Star Trek 9, Spock and Nero go through a black hole created to stop the supernova. So, my point here is that, you know, this has always been my theory. You think about how how could Voyager, the Voyager 6, yeah, assimilated all this information over what 300 years? Like in my opinion, I think I think the black hole sent it back in time like a really long time. Right, this is my fan theory about Star Trek motion picture. Right, it goes back in time okay. for a really long time, goes across the galaxy, and it amasses all this stuff. Right, and that's how it's so massive by the time it comes back to Earth. So that's just a little fan theory from me to you guys. So let me know what you think about that. But anyway, definitely, definitely a threat to Earth. Like this might be the biggest threat to Earth because, uh, as as you say, Ken, those those devices that V'ger deploys, like that could d- level the planet. Right. I mean, any kind of invading fleet or whatever, like they're gonna attack Earth and. And we, we see in a D space nine when the Breen attack San Francisco, right? You're going to attack little pockets, right? But you're going to just devastate the entire planet. I don't think anybody any conquering force is going to do that, right? They want to take over the planet. They don't want to just annihilate it entirely. So this this feature would have been the most destructive, uh, or, or you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we get to Star Trek four, I guess, but <laughs> the most destructive force that the Enterprise comes across, and fortunately they uh, they save the day, right? Of course they do. It's it's Kirk. It's what they It's do. Kirk talking to a artificial intelligence. Of course he's gonna win. <laughs> of course he's going
1: to win. And there's no doubt about it. It it's just yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I like your theory about the time. I would I would say in my in my head, what happens is as you accumulate knowledge and your technology grows, the ability to solve for equations or to scan further out also exponentially increases in over 300 years um when you're starting from a pretty high point in technology and you're only um expediting i guess that 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 ability to collect data you know millions and millions and times faster and faster and faster day after day after day that theoretically you could get your arms around what 's going on. I know they what did they say the universe or the galaxy i you know I kind of yeah spots like
0: I, the whole galaxy is in here
1: it's like really yeah, yeah, whole <laughs> galaxy, so you know maybe, but at any rate it it doesn't matter it's its concept was huge and it's beyond i think uh uh, us really to to even imagine that i mean you know we the concept of even traveling to uh to jupiter <laughs> right now is is unbelievable so yeah it's uh it it definitely was was a real threat and um and you know for me a a great plot line and i know it gets comparisons a lot to to the changeling looking for its creator and all that stuff and it should. Uh, there's there's definitely some parallels there, but uh, scale, scope, um, everything else about it, uh, very different. But
0: um, and ultimately, this this one made sense. A lot of times, Earth is in jeopardy, right? You're like, okay, well, that's contrived. Why would they come after Earth? We, we've talked about that across the franchise, really. But this one, of course, yeah, Voyager, Viger, right, is from Earth, so it's returning to its home base to meet with its creator, and that once that mystery is revealed, it all makes sense why it's headed this way. It's not just some Oh, the Earth is in the way of this cloud. We got to stop it. Like, no, it's coming here with an objective, with a purpose. Yeah, that's right. And and its and its purpose was good. It, mm-hmm. it and
1: originally, it, you know, it was it wanted to share everything it learned. And uh, and its its inability to jump beyond logic and and its debas and its dispassionate, very binary thought process. You have stifled the creator, right? Um, so. Bye bye bye, you go away and we'll find the creator. Um you know, pretty big leap for something as sophisticated as it was. But again, that's your worldview. That's what happened. So All right. So um I uh, thank you, Suzanne Williamson, for for the Star Trek four poster. I uh, I think she was the first one to respond, and you know, Star Trek Four. It was funny before we started recording this. I was I was looking at some scenes from from Star Trek Four on on YouTube again because it is such a great movie. And conceptually, uh, this is probably my favorite
0: Earth in Jeopardy concept film for all the Star Treks. The one with the whales trademark, right? <laughs> the one with the whales. I love that we were the talking about favorite movies, and I believe it was Suzanne who who called it that like it's like hey everybody list your favorite star trek movies and this one was the top of her list and it said the one with the whales trademark the one the whale. I, I really like, like yeah. that because you know when you say that when you're in like the real world so to speak right and you're just talking to people about star trek yeah you know the one with the whales i like that one right that's that's what people refer to it as but yeah this is again man man being the architect of his own destruction more more directly right because they he created you know obviously we created the voyager probe to go out there and simulate all knowledge we had no idea that it would get you know something the wires would get crossed somewhere along the way and it would come back and and feel that we were the infestation the carbon units were the problem right but right. uh with star trek 4 like this is just you know greedy capitalism man-centered you know whatever you want to call it right whatever category you want to put that stuff in profit was being made off of killing whales right so we didn't care about, like, hey, these are animals, and they're part of our ecosystem, and, you know, and they're intelligent. So maybe, maybe we should have just slaughtered them because we can make money, right? That's There's a thought, right? But, you know, it, it got out of control, and, and the whales went extinct, you know, in the 23rd century of Star Trek. They're all gone. Guess what? Whales are here before you, and they were talking to aliens. The aliens are back, they want to talk to their friends. The whales, they're gone, we have a problem now, and it's not like the the probe again. The probe did not come here with malicious intent. It just wanted to, you know, hey, where are my friends, the whales? So it starts, you know, evaporating the oceans, looking for the whales. You know, it's we're it's not even considering the fact that there's like humans and other life forms on this planet, much in the same way we, you know, walk on an ant hill, right? We're like, oh, an ants in there, whatever. I'm looking for fill in the blank, right? So it just. It's so far on another plane of understanding than we are. We are absolutely nothing to this probe that comes to talk to the whales. And I thought that was a very fascinating concept. As Spock says, you know, only human arrogance would assume this probe's message must be meant for man. That's right. It, that, that's, that's where it, it kicks butt. And, you know, one of
1: the things that, you, you know, you say, oh, we're, you know, kind of uh, jumping after the whales for, for capitalism. Well, if you think about it, the people that were really hunting whales back in the 80s uh, were the Russians, <laughs> <It> was, uh, <laughs> just <chased>. I, ironically <laughs> too, it wasn't a capitalist <laughs> <laughs> because it was outlawed uh you know uh by, by the united states and most of the countries i think i think japan and russia were the, were the last remaining two and i don't remember if japan specifically was hunting uh, humpback whales back then but a couple of things I, I think this movie uh you know sometimes i can i can be turned off a little bit if a movie gets too preachy right this movie was not too preachy uh-huh. it wasn't it it did it right it it sent the right message home and and in this case the storyline was perfect it was unique uh we've had uh zillions of monster movies where you know um radiation or whatever turns bunny rabbits into killer giants and godzilla you know and and in this case it was it was man killing the giants um the the benign um giants that caused our own destruction if it wasn't for for time travel i mean we it was it was um very short-sighted thinking and i thought it was a brilliant movie and it's obvious it's it's many times an understated or forgotten star trek film even though commercially speaking in total dollars it was the most successful of all the movies until the calvin timeline films Right, I think the motion picture might have made more money um overall when you uh trend, you know uh, in real dollar value. Star Trek Four was the biggest commercial success they had especially domestically and uh it it was it was just a great movie and one of the things that was interesting to uh, Zach is that there was a a commercial for Pacific Life not that long ago hmm. that specifically talks to how the humpback wheels have rebounded hmm. right and they're they're pretty much off the endangered species list. And and you wonder um you know sometimes we tend to give too much credit but sometimes we don't give enough credit for things that might have jolted people's memories or got people to think a little bit more. And this movie with its appeal at the time anyway might have done that. And and you know I'm not saying they're directly responsible it's obviously there's there's, there's huge organizations, Sea Shepherd, others, um, Greenpeace, whatnot, that have been fighting this fight for, for decades and decades. So I don't want to, that's what I say you have to be careful of how much credit you give something. But I, I would definitely think this, this gave it a little bit more adrenaline and a bigger push and a, and a larger scale, easy awareness, right? Because you, you've got a captured audience that's going in there to see Star Trek, not maybe a bunch of people that are thinking about uh, saving the environment specifically, or a uh, a piece of it, but uh, this movie made us all think. It was it was wonderfully, wonderfully done, and I thought the the best save the um, the Earth movie that that we've seen in the Star Trek franchises.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent point about uh, the pop culture awareness or societal awareness or whatever terminology you want to use uh, talking about the whales. Because obviously, in you know, a dangerous species, we have a dangerous species you know, across the planet. Unfortunately, whales of uh, all kinds, really. Uh, have their own targets on their back, so to speak, for various reasons. I think definitely that you can credit this movie. And that's a great point. So true that a lot of times, you know, arts and fiction and Star Trek itself, right, gets too much credit for things and social change. But in this case, I think there's a direct correlation. I mean, you look at, you know, 25, 30 years ago now, this movie's been around and and the whales have rebounded. And I think, you know, you see in those humpback whales on posters and, and, and VHS boxes and all that. And of course, the movie being so great, uh, all those things together really raise the cultural awareness so that you can't you can't buy that kind of publicity, right? You, you can't. I mean, and you look at you know, and I think the best art really it, it it's not a prerequisite for art being successful or anything. But the art I appreciate the most uh, is stuff that that causes social change like that. I mean, you look at to a different. Obviously, this is a fiction film, but you look at a more recent example, uh, the documentary Blackfish, right? It's about the killer whales and how right. you know sea world for you know example uh, has been you know pretty much taking advantage of these animals you know capturing them in the wild putting them in really bad living conditions you know and and like i had no idea i love sea world as a kid going to sea world and uh but but now you look at that like oh my gosh what are we you know what what have we been doing to these animals that that don't need to be in a like the equivalent of a bathtub if you extrapolate it to what a human size <laughs> where they should be as opposed to where the whale should be swimming around in the ocean there in this, this limited size tank anyway i saw this film and it was like whoa blew my mind and and now you know there's actually been it's created some actual change there's actually been legislation made so Seaworld has made some decisions due to the you know boycotts and whatnot, and have changed uh, their approach to killer whales, and, and we're making progress, right? And that's all you can ask for: progress to be made. And definitely, Star Trek IV had the same effect on uh, on killer whales, killer whales, excuse me, hump, humpback whales, whales of all kinds. Everybody loves the whales, basically. So. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, like and and I've seen I, I've seen posters uh, made in jest, you know, dolphin-free tuna, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and the tuna's like, well, what about me? <laughs> It is interesting how we're selective about that kind of thing, right? Yeah, uh,
0: well, um. well, you don't taste as good, obviously. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, this movie proves you do not need to go to the same villain that wants revenge trope that films, Star Trek films, but all films really often do. It's such an easy character motivation, right? But truly, man is the greatest villain, Ken. Right, but you know what? They don't They
1: don't have to hit you over the head with a club, right? You You mm-hmm. can go into this movie. You have fun with this movie. Because it's you know again uh, sorry to use this 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 term but you know fish out of water story <laughs> uh, but appropriate I know they're mammals before I get notes but yeah anyway um, <laughs> it, it it really is a a fun uh, film uh, that has a great message so you can have a good time and you can come away thinking about something that's that's very important and 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 it spawns action but at the same like I said you know you don't have to. You go into to some of those uh, other movies and it's just like, oh, you know, um, because in a lot of cases, too, it isn't, it, it, I would say, in the whaling industry where most everything could have been made synthetically, even at that time, it, it was, it, there really wasn't an excuse to do what they were doing. I, I can't think of one anyway. There wasn't a need that I, I understood other than culturally you know they like the blubber the whale meat the whale oil and stuff that they they liked and especially cold regions of of russia siberia and stuff but at any rate um it, it really didn't make much sense and it's it's nice to see uh things change and if you think about where we were in the 80s and it's there's a great line where they're they're looking at the um, San Francisco Examiner or whatever it was, you know, about the uh, nuclear arms uh, talks stalling. It's like, it's it's amazing we ever got out of that era. Well, within three years, four years, we were out of that era, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's amazing how fast, you know, things can change and uh, both from a political one, you know, because uh, the world then was very different now and... Uh, but even from an environmental, the, the focus on cleaning things up and littering. I mean, growing up in the 70s and, and early 80s, I mean, throwing stuff on the ground or out your car window was a way of doing
0: business. It's um, crazy to me. you know. I mean, obviously, it is, it I, is. I, I come from a different generation, and that just blows my uh, yeah, mind. People yeah, just yeah. throwing trash it. out the window, man. Well,
1: think about the, and, and no one buckled a seatbelt. No, no one ever buckled a seatbelt. That was not, you know, that just never happened. Um and, and you see all these and you, you see all these endangered species coming off the list. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we've arrived by any means, but there definitely is a change. And I think it's probably there's certain regions of the world where that change is really, you know, getting hold. I think the US is one of them. And then there's 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 many other regions where it really isn't. You know, that the uh, the land is there, you know, you know, we talk about the destruction of the rainforest, things along those. Even that's slowed, but it hasn't stopped. So people are focused and change is happening. And we are, I think, quote unquote, evolving to a, to understanding that uh, it's not just us on Earth. And this was really when this came out in 1986, whether it's by design or by accident, it doesn't matter. A lot of thought change really started to occur along those timelines and uh we're seeing some really positive results because of that have yeah. we arrived heck no but are we going in a much better direction than when we were absolutely and uh i was there so i know so <laughs> there, there we go right
0: because i'm old i <laughs> i was not there but uh <laughs> i uh, i know we spent a lot of time on this particular uh subject here can we never know where these conversations are gonna lead us that's why i love having these conversations with you and it's fun uh yeah because star trek you know it it creates it can create like personal change right because you see something that 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 you relates to you personally in your personal life like oh yeah you know what that is right right so you have that category then you have your technological change because it you know inspires people like you know what i want a handheld walkie-talkie device that i can use over long distances to talk to anyone and someone inv- invents the cell phone right mm-hmm. and then you know you have your i don't know what you call it, like societal change right and that's what this is right endangered species that kind of thing raising awareness so there's so many categories you can approach right and then of course you have the like what if i was sent back in time and fell in love with someone who had to die right that's a, <laughs> that's your pure sci-fi you know mind exercise strategy that you're never a situation you're never going to find yourself in right but those are those are like the pillars of the <laughs> <laughs> of, of the drama of Star Trek and and this is the you know the societal social change one that you can actually extrapolate in the real world right now right that's one that is not as common and that's why it's such a big deal that this movie was in that category
1: so hey great conversation on this one I, I enjoyed this so the last one we have uh, for the original cast and crew but a rebooted cast and crew Ooh. is Star Trek uh, the 2009 movie reboot where dun 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 we have one big huge badass ship called the narada that uh not only does it uh, threaten earth but actually is successful in destroying vulcan in a um any revenge um i guess drawn i don't even know how you'd word it but i, I guess the, the the whole the whole movie the the whole the whole concept of this film is 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 one that we've seen a long time a lot of times in movies you know evil bad guy wants revenge um going to take it out on everybody type thing i would just say this it was executed and done very very well is i really enjoyed the movie and i thought it was a very unique way of destroying a planet kind of the inside out Uh type of deal with um uh, proto red matter, excuse me. Pr- proto matter is wrong. Matter. Wrong movie. Yeah, yeah. I almost said proto matter. <laughs> Sorry, red matter. Yeah, proto matter was what destroyed you know, Genesis. Anyway, uh, you see, I'm I'm with it. I'm with it. I just went. Oh, so, so. Anyways, <laughs> so yes, uh and and once again, you know, you have a, um, a a lot of tension built up into this because you 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 can see what this thing does and that it annihilates a planet of billions and it's going to do it to Earth. Um, because Vulcan was obviously the number two important planet in in the Federation, uh-huh. um, and and now it's heading towards zero uh, zero one, and it is um, it is an intense, action filled. Very different flavor. I mean, just talking – when you jump from a movie like Star Trek Four, The Voyage Home, to Star Trek 09, I mean, obviously this was an origin story that had to have a uh, an immense threat thrown in there to, to pull this team together. And they they picked about as big a one as they could come up with. But original in terms of
0: method, I'll put it that way. But that shows you the many flavors of Star Trek, right? You can have in the right. same movie franchise, you can have a movie like Star Trek: For the Voyage Home and Star Trek: 09, right? And they- and it all fits. And there's that connective tissue that ties them all together, and that's that's what's great about Star Trek. And I'm glad that we can have these different uh, approaches to it. Now, yes, the villain plot is a little cliche, right? It-, it really gets that way, especially if you look at the greater whole of the Star Trek movies, all 13 of them now, uh, right? Yeah, there's 13. <laughs> kind <laughs> of lose track when they, once once they stop putting the roman numerals after them it's hard to hard to keep track of how many they were. this is as you said a very interesting way it's not it's not a death star like a giant laser that's going to destroy the earth it's a just a little drop of red matter right laser <laughs> kin's doing the <laughs> kin's doing the the doctor evil fingers here but <laughs> <laughs> um it's just a little drop of, of red matter right and it's going to implode your entire planet that's a scary concept to know that like just a little bit of this Destructive material could destroy an entire planet, and we had just seen it in Vulcan. Right now, were they going to destroy Earth? No, of course not. In all these films and TV shows, we knew we knew the Enterprise was going to save the day. But having just seen Vulcan get destroyed, the the threat felt a lot more real this time. You know,
1: they 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 pulled it off. Um, uh, great uh, Kirk Spock moments in in rescuing Pike and getting uh-huh. into the ship and. And getting the jellyfish this is such an awful name but that's I know that's not its name but that's anyway. I guess they couldn't come up with another concept but anyway yeah they they did it right in this movie I thought it was it was big it was epic it was quite the spectacle it was creative and um, and, and in its tone you know it, it, it moved it was definitely a Star Trek like we had never seen before uh, it it changed some paradigms um, you know its pacing was was through the roof, but obviously big, 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 and I mean big, menacing threat. That was a big ship. Was it the perfect film? By no means, no. But I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a nice kickoff, and this is one of the benefits of doing this show, right? Zach is, you know, we get we get the benefit of of playing in in the whole
0: Captain Kirk um, playground. Just a final thought here on 09. Do you think it reinforced a lot of these... I mean, we were talking about the cliches of Star Trek, of pop culture. I feel like this movie, and I love it as well, but I feel like the, the choice to have them like, Earth is at risk and Enterprise must save Earth again in this movie might reinforce that thought that, oh, every Star Trek movie, they got to save Earth. It's the only ship. You know what I'm saying? I do,
1: I, but I think it was very deliberate, Zach. I think they wanted people to feel like we are changing the look of Star Trek, but we're not changing Star Trek that dramatically and what i mean by that is they they kind of went overboard with it i guess right because everything was was you know mega size mm-hmm. the ships were bigger the 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 cast was was more action oriented things along those lines however um, it was still espousing the federation. It was still espousing uh, a lot of things about Kirk. They played on the the womanizer thing, maybe too much.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess um, I agree with or, that.
1: you know, and and him not following orders. It's like that does not define his career. Um, a movie here and an episode there. Yeah, you know, he takes a stand and, and changes things and. He does things on his own. But he really wasn't
0: a rogue captain. Uh, You kind of get the feel for that. And they, of course, corrected that, definitely, as the films have continued in the Coven timeline. But especially here, I I do feel like they played in those cliches, as you're saying, a little too much with him. Yeah, they they did. And, And I think, but like I said,
1: I think that was very deliberate to get us back into saying, yes, this is Star Trek. And they just took it, you know, they wanted everything big, better, faster more epic more spectacle uh and they did it right um and, and that's thing and and to this day you know and i we talk about all all our original series episodes we talk about our original series movies um i i still have a tough time coming up
0: with a better scene than kirk's birth i really no, I'm do same here that, man right? that's that I've, I've said it many times that very well may be my favorite scene in star trek how do you top
1: that? I mean, the you have the action, the spectacle, and the background. You have the most beautiful music. It was, um, it was incredible. And, and George Kirk's death was, uh, you know, admirable and sad. And what a way to kick off a movie. Wow. I mean, it was it was an epic beginning. So. Yeah, was it perfect? By no means did did it have me excited for um, a new round of more modern, um, aesthetic looking Star Trek. Absolutely, uh, is does this this does this give people that are traditionalists absolute fits? It absolutely <laughs> does. I can understand it, um, but you know the the one the, you know we, one of the things that I, that I really like working with you and, and and all of our friends on the Babel conference is you know what you don't see outside what we do inside we don't we, we see on the outside all the, all the time i'm not wording this correctly but you know you don't hear people saying you're wrong or these movies are the crap or whatever i mean you know i think a <laughs> these lot of movies us will... are the crap i love that yeah and, and V V
0: spelled incorrectly b t yeah yeah you know what i mean though but don't go oh you're wrong or you're not a fan or you're not
1: this and it's like don't Tell me what I am or not. I Uh respect your opinion. If you don't like it, okay, fine. Uh We move on. I still like you. (laughs) No big deal. Um, You know, kind of like the visceral uh, experiences you have. But I, for one, love Star Trek in all its incarnations. And just like the original series episodes, just like all the other series that we've had, we have some that, that kick ass and take names, and we have others go... Yeah, yeah, that's a Star Trek. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah You know, just just <laughs> didn't work out the way we had hoped, and we just kind of go, yeah, they, they they really goofed up on that. And and I don't care what era or what series you like,
0: you have winners and you have losers. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, and, you know, ultimately, part of our inspiration in this conversation was, you know, there's a trope that the Enterprise is always saving Earth, and let's examine that. Let's really look at how many times, like, let's go down the list and see how many times they really did it very small percentage, right? Very small yes. percentage of the original series. And, yep. you know, that's, that's just, again, that just shows you there's so many stories you can tell in Star Trek. You don't always have to go save Earth, right? Uh, even by proxy, right? And half of the ones that aren't on our list are by proxy. I mean, some other uh, suggestions that people on the Babel Conference have had is like, oh, what about Star Trek three? And like, well, yeah, there was the Genesis device, but no one really had it other than, you know, Khan and Star Trek two, and he wasn't going to go destroy Earth with it, right? So, I mean, that doesn't really, even if you extrapolate that, that doesn't really fit our, our criteria. And then, yes, at the end of Star Trek Six, they do save civilization as we know it, and they're not going to prosecute, as Greg Mulvey points out. <laughs> but you know, I, uh, there was a conspiracy going on with the Klingons and the Federation. So would they have was was Earth truly in jeopardy? Then I don't know. Maybe our way of life would have been in jeopardy, but I don't know. That that's that's a much deeper, different kind of approach to saving Earth than we're talking about. In this conversation
1: yeah i think a good um parallel to that is where the uh, the u.s russian re- relations are today hmm. star trek six is we want to keep things the same we don't want to be best friends best buddies uh or move along to you know what eventually happened in, into the next generation which is all well and good but we haven't established that either here right in this timeline so there's there's still um you know the russians every once in a while still get a little froggy and um You know they do things ukraine's a great example what's going on so it it, it, it's i looked at star trek six not so much as a threat to earth but a threat to the norm that we have which is you know um a a good-sized military facing off on one another um you know keeping uh you know because they say at the beginning of star trek six you know what will happen with starfleet you know oh our scientific and exploration programs will still stay in play you know so there it is. I guess it's definitely a military organization. Anyway, did I say that out <laughs> loud? I'm sorry. Um, because they didn't say, oh, now we can, we can just uh, uh, we can stop with our military program and really increase our exploration program. Sorry, Richard, I just had to have fun with that. But at any rate, that, 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 that's kind of how I see that. So I'm aligned with you. I, I really don't think it's a fit for, for this discussion, but that's because it's just our discussion. How you want to discuss it and talk it through? If you have a difference of opinion, let's uh, uh, d- a difference of opinion. Let's hear it. You know, write it up.
0: Um, I'd, I'd be very, very curious to see other points of view on this. Absolutely, Ken. Yeah, I look forward to, to hearing about all the things we missed, <laughs> as well as you guys' thoughts on our thoughts here. Uh, and the other thing you should write up while you're at it is an iTunes review, <laughs> iTunes review for us on iTunes uh, because we have our giveaway of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Season 1 on Blu-ray. It all makes sense in context, guys. Listen back a few episodes. You'll know why we're giving away <laughs> Next Generation Season 1 on Blu-ray. But uh, for anyone who leaves us an iTunes review uh, before December 15th, you'll be entered in a contest. We'll draw your name. And we will send you this Blu-ray via, you know, a nice Christmas present for anybody out there who wants to leave us a review. Please let us know uh, what your thoughts on the show. Any star rating will do. So uh, we look forward to you guys uh, going to iTunes and leaving us a review there before December 15th. Well, saving the Earth isn't the only thing we've been talking about this week on Trek FM. Here's a look at some things you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, standard orbit. The crash of the um,
1: of, of the bird, bird of, of prey. prey into San Francisco Harbor. Mm, you know, look! There <laughs> it's heading are. for the bridge.
0: <laughs> those are, those are great shorthand. scenes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, you don't know what they're looking at or, or what's going on. But anyway. Stage nine. A podcast about the people who make Star Trek.
0: We had many frenky and they were all quite different. Nog and Rom and Brunt and Quark and the Grand Negus and Moogie. They all had very different voices,
1: very different worldviews. They were all characters in their own right, but they all fit into that culture.
0: Saturday morning Trek. When she did the psychic girl. Yes. Like that one where I was just like, really, Nichelle? Yeah. Like that. that is the direction that you want to go like? They are putting a, a device <laughs> in the warp control room. Oh, no. Like I was just, oh, man. But you could tell it was Nichelle. And I was I was I was laughing so hard at that. It was so much fun. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek.fm, you can always find us on Trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook.com slash Trek FM, and The Babel Conference. Type The Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at Shrek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. So you can find
1: us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes and helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. So let me talk to you for a second about Patreon, Zach. Patreon is the program that Trek FM employs in order to get donations to keep the network coming to you commercial free. It is wonderful. Most of the hosts here on Trek FM are big contributors to Patreon and found our way onto the network through Patreon. So if you can uh, spare any money, uh, to, and we don't care what the denomination is, it really means a lot to us because there is a lot of content that we're putting up there, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of programming, a lot of equipment that we need. So please, if you can help us out, we'd appreciate it. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trackfm, and you can you can click any donation you want. And we do have some incentives for you. So For $15 a month, you get to join the patrons roundtable where you podcast. And, and, you know, again, that is where a lot of us started. It was on the roundtable. I was on the very first one. I had a blast. And if you can contribute $25 or more per month, then you get associate producer credits for whatever show you like. And we love our associate producers. So. Please, 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 if you, if you have the ability, it is more than appreciated. And speaking of our associate producers, we'd like to thank Renee Roberts, Richard Rutledge, and Aaron Harvey. Thank you so much, always, for your support for both Standard Orbit and the Trek FM network. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRes underscore 1701. You can find Richard at RUT8972. And you can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at GeekFilter. So if you're looking for me on the network, you can you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm always on there. Uh, pre-post shows, talking different subjects with all our listeners. And you can also find me on Twitter at Boston S-C P O. That means Boston, Senior Chief Petty Officer.
0: As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young superman show from the early 2000s and we're on twitter at always with one s and also i'm around the babel conference as well it's always great to talk to you guys on there making conversation about our shows other shows general star trek topics anything really love to talk to you guys on there so thanks for listening everyone join us again next time here on trek.fm for another episode of standard corporate